0: What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's been a couple of weeks and we shouldn't have left you, but we're coming back at you once again as the playoff race begins to heat up across the NBA. Welcome to yet another edition of Open Run presented to you by War Media. I'm your host, Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm joined by none other than my co-host and senior writer here at War Media and go-to man on all things when it comes to hoops and Josh Hicks, what's been going on with you over the last week or so since we last recorded. We done had a lot of epic games, a lot of hot storylines that we're going to take our time to discuss in this week's episode, such as the firing of a well-respected veteran head coach out in the Eastern Conference, a 71-point game from Damian Lillard, and much more as we'll get into that just a bit prior to us also discussing the state of things with the Bulls. Near the latter portion of the show, what's been up with you, man? Just just doing my thing. I enjoyed the one week off. I know it's 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 hard to leave. It's, I feel like a mistress. You just leaving the mistress, just, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out if you want to go to your first love or your mistress. But hey, you know, I got everybody. I need their rest, including me. I can't please everybody, so I'm glad that we got the rest that we need for that one week. Let's go and ready to go back hard at this thing for the rest of the season, man. Let's do this. Yeah, for sure. I I enjoyed the the one week break myself as well, man. I was out in Milwaukee over the yeah, week, checking out the the Sixers and Bucks game. Yeah, got to give a shout out to my boy Torrance Stagger. You know, he was trying to check out some games. He, we was thinking about going to the Suns and Bulls game. And he's like, "No, nah, I don't want to do that. Let's, let's let's take that trip up to Milwaukee. They playing Philly. I'm like, Yeah, nationally televised game and be Giannis, Harden. Say less. That that was a hell of a game. But I want to. Send a special hoops shout out this week to Phoenix Suns all-star forward Kevin Durant, who officially surpassed the Hall of Fame point guard Oscar Robertson for 13th place on the NBA's all-time scoring charts against the Bulls this past weekend as the two-time Finals MVP has jumped up to eight spots on the list this season after beginning the year sitting in 21st place. In addition to another pair of all-star players on the wing and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard for becoming the first pair of Clippers teammates to drop 30-plus points and 10-plus rebounds in the same game since 1982 in their victory against Memphis to snap a five-game losing skid just last week, including Julius Randle of the New York Knicks and Devin Booker of the Suns for taking home Eastern and Western Conference Player of the Week honors as the two former Kentucky Wildcats both helped lead their respective clubs to an unbeaten record last week. Randall posted nearly 30 points, 8.3 rebounds, and 4.8 assists through four games for New York, while Booker would go on to average a scorching 36 points per game to go alongside nearly eight assists and five boards per outing beside his new sidekick and Kevin Durant. So with all of that being said, as I always ask you, Josh, prior to engaging in any convo about all of the hot topics to take shape over the last week, what are some of the top storylines that have stood out to you heavily since coming back from the all-star break? Uh, First, the first one I'm going to give a shout out to is Marquette basketball. Uh, They definitely won the big, the regular season, Big East champions. Um, So, major shout out to them and very big for them moving forward since as they finish as the, you know, top six team in the nation, uh, getting ready for that March madness uh, vibe coming up real soon. So um, major shout out to them. And of course, I got to even shout out to my cousin. He is a big East, all second, big East uh, this year. So shout, I out saw to that. shout out to Cam for that. Uh, do your thing, young buck, keep going. But um, outside of all of that, how can you top 71 from Damian Lillard? I mean, I think it's fascinating to me how the guys that have scored 71 points in this season are both guards that are, in a lot of ways, undersized. Donovan Mitchell is not the biggest guard. He's, he's He has size and girth to him, but he's not like 6'6", 6'7". He's only like 6'3", 6'4". Damian Lillard is only 6'1". And this man dropped seventy-one with predominantly three-point jump shots. But on top of the three-point jump shooting, he still diversified his game enough to where he's also scoring. And once that, once they you know defended the three, he was scoring his his mid-range jumpers. He was getting to the lane, dunking on people. The way he diversified his skill set in that game was impeccable for a guy. I have to remind people, he's only 6'1". He's not the tallest, most strongest, most-sized guard in the league. And yet, he has proven year after year after year why he's a top-five point guard in this league. And there's no reason why he doesn't get the respect that he should be getting whether he stays in Portland or not. The talent speaks for itself on top of the heart and the mentality that goes with it. And that's what sets Damian Lillard apart from other guards in this league. And he's demonstrated that recently in that 71-point game. Um, it's, 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 it was an amazing sight to see. And that's for sure the game that I actually watched from beginning to end. Um, and to be able to see that, man, that was special. To, that, was, that was very special to witness. Yeah, has been doing his thing. And you talked about how he was knocking down the three-ball He had 13 triples to be exact in that game. And it ain't hard to see how he got to that 71 when he was red high like that. He took, I believe, like over 20 three-point attempts. But he, like I said, he hit 13. I think he went 13 from 22 from the field, uh, from downtown, if I'm not mistaken, when I look back at the stats earlier at the top of the week. That was a game I didn't get a chance to catch. But that might be one of those games during the offseason or during the day where, you know, some downtime that I have where I may have to go back and catch that on the lead pass replay because just looking at the clips and the highlights of it, yeah, he was giving Houston the business. Mm-hmm. And it ain't hard to see why, even though they a young team and they got some defensive coverages that need a lot of work. But 71-71 in the NBA. And it was so good that they had to – drug test them after the game with the <laughs> needle. You know what I'm saying? Right. So they, they think my man on the HGH or something, you know, to be able to do that. But he been getting to it. And he's really making the race for the scoring title all the more interesting. Because I thought it was just going to be a two-man race between Luca and Joel B, who are 1-2 right now in points per game this season. But Dame right on their neck in number three. So... He going to make the race all the more interesting. He just had a triple double at the top of this week against Detroit. So I'm definitely going to have my eyes on him. And you know, he's going to continue to put these numbers up as Portland tries to elevate themselves up into this play in race out in the Western conference. But one guy that stuck out to me, man is a rookie out in Oklahoma city. Jalen Williams. Yeah. No SGA. No problem. This dude is making the rookie of the year waste all the more interesting. We've talked about Paulo Banquero, a guy who I believe is still the front runner in favor to win it. And we've also talked about Benedict Mathurin, mm-hmm. who has been a hell of a six man this season for Indiana. But Jalen Williams, man, he, he's becoming one of my top. Young players to watch on League Pass, and it, he's able to play all five positions. You see him, Mark Dagnall, using him as like a small ball five, and he's able to hit the glass hard. He's a versatile defender, has a wingspan over seven feet that he could use to cover ground, and oh, he could get to the money off the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And he's continuously. Improving as a shooter, like I have some numbers here, three-point shooting percentage by the month. Jalen Williams, November, twenty-nine point three percent; December, thirty-one point six percent; January, thirty-two and a half percent; February, thirty-seven and a half percent. Last ten games, Jalen Williams been shooting fifty percent from three-point land, and he's leading all rookies, if I'm not mistaken and true shooting percentage at 59.6%. That would be the sixth highest mark for a rookie with at least 500 field goal attempts in the last 25 years. So he's doing a, a hell of a job. And for a guy who came into the draft, expected to go late first round, if not early second. And for Sam Presti to select him at 12 overall, which caught a lot of people by surprise, It has some people wondering, you know, what's to that? He's feeling well. In Oklahoma City, I'm going to tell you guys, y'all better pray they don't get a top four pick this year in the draft because they've been managing to be a competitive bunch and competing, playing hard-nosed defense. Without a guy who's more than likely gonna be the anchor to that defense when he makes his rookie debut next season, and Chet Holmgren. So folks better watch out. And then, like I said, he's able to make things happen off the dribble and, and facilitate and run the offense, as well as score. But he wasn't even doing that when SGA was in the lineup. He was playing more off the ball. Mm-hmm. Josh Giddy as well. Oklahoma City got three guys that they can plug and play. It. In, in, Several positions or spots on the floor with no problem. And Jalen Williams is looking like he going to be a long-term fit for that like core for years to come over there, man. Sam Presti is doing his thing, and I got to give him credit for that. But the league better be concerned, especially when he got the, that war chest of draft picks courtesy of the Los Angeles Clippers and Paul George. No, nah, that's real, man. Jalen Williams has been killing it. He's been killing it. And he's been a real sleeper really all season long. Yes, yeah. Because when SGA doesn't get it going, it's always two go-to guys. And you mentioned them, Josh Giddy and Jalen Williams. And Jalen Williams has not just only improved over time defensively, but IQ-wise too. Yeah. He's picking up the game quite, quite fast. And people forget, this dude broke Steve Dash's three-point record in college at Santa Clara. Yeah, like, let's not let's not forget that it was originally broken by my guy, Jerry Brownridge from Waubonsie, the Illinois native. And shout out to the 6-3-L, bro. And you're doing your thing in the G League. But. You know, Jalen Williams broke that record and he came out of college knowing as someone that can shoot the ball effectively and score. So what we're witnessing is really nothing new. It's just magnified on the level because the opportunities that's being presented to him on the offensive side of the ball, knowing that SGA was at, was out. That's where you really start to realize, okay, this gift that this guy has offensively is pretty, is actually better than what we expected at this current state of his, of, 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 of you know, of his rookie year in the, in the league. Yeah. Oklahoma city is scary right now. And they're, doing, and they're doing all of this by being competitive every night. They may not win every night, but they're competitive every night. It's not an easy go in there win. Every time you play them, they make At it all. difficult for you. And to do that without Chet hogram and you still, like you said, have a good chance of getting another top four pick. I, I, that that's scary to see. That's scary to see with Oklahoma City going on right now. And we all questioned how Sam Presti was going to move on, knowing that he pretty much let go the Kevin Durant's, the James Hardens, and Russell Westbrook's. That big three was an ideal big three in an unprecedented era of that time. And for him, people questioned how he was going to recoup from that. How he was going to, he was going to move forward from that. Heck, is his job even safe? Like, there was literally rumors of him saying wonder if his job is even going to be safe. Now we're sitting here looking at it it's like, you like me now? Because I'm just getting started. Like, <laughs> I'm just getting started. And you see it is paying off quite well for Oklahoma City. Give them a couple years. Continue some pieces around them. They, you're not going to look at them as currently sitting at 13th in the Western Conference. You're going to see them in the upper echelon of that Western Conference down the road. Most and at this rate, at least at least outside of the play-in term, at least like not in not fighting for a play-in spot. You're looking at at least the sixth seed within the next, within the next couple of years. Yeah, especially if they you know continue to develop guys. And I got to give a shout out to Isaiah Joe. You know, yeah. you talk about. Being in Philadelphia, a team that was in need of a wing, and he was buried at that in there on their bench. Yeah, and he went over there, and he making it rain. He he looked like he done found himself a home, and that's just kudos to the Preston and the scouting department for doing the thing and making sure that they at least keep a solid product on the floor. Like I said, it's some teams even when they try and tank. They just don't know how to do it because they draft so well and their players make so many great strides. And I, I, I can't help, but just give kudos to, to the Thunder scouting department, as well as the player development staff there. Because when you look at what Jalen Williams is doing and these young players, they competing and, and, and it says a lot and, and Dagnaw has proven to be a solid hire thus far a guy who was in-house and I believe was coaching their G League affiliate squad and OKC yeah. Blue prior to taking over as the head coach for the Thunder. But I want to move away from the first quarter of the show to discuss some news that dropped shortly following the recording of our last installment here at Open Run a couple of weeks ago down in Atlanta where Nate McMillan was fired right in the midst of the All-Star break after the Hawks posted a 29-30 and 30 record under his command in what was only his second full season at the helm. McMillan, who landed a four-year deal with Atlanta after guiding the franchise to the Eastern Conference Finals under the interim tag in 2021, was expected to part ways with the franchise in the offseason. However, ownership and management within the Hawks' front office decided to make the change a couple of weeks ago. In an effort to go about salvaging the season, to make a play-in run, and to begin pursuing the franchise's next head coach, who within the next several days following McMillan's firing would be revealed as Quinn Snyder, as the former Jazz head coach came to terms on a long-term deal with the Hawks after being pursued aggressively by Atlanta. My initial thoughts on the McMillan firing was is most of you know sources said and indicated it it was expected especially after the situation between him and Trey Young um prior to the holiday season when Trey when he told Trey basically just like go home yeah you know it, it was just a lot of friction and I think McMillan did the best that he knew how to do because he didn't ask for that job people forget he took over is the interim when Lloyd Pierce was fired and he did such a great job and rallied that ball club to where they were able to get a top five seed in the east and as we know playoffs come down to matchups drew a solid matchup with New York a team that they dominated in the opening round and then found a way to hold their own against the Philadelphia 76ers and shocked the world by knocking them off on their home floor in game seven and got to within two wins of reaching the NBA finals. That that was a kudos to him, but like he didn't really ask for that job. He just got thrusted into it. He did well. And it got to a point where the team was rallying behind him so much. Like they had to take that interim tag off and give him the bag. But after that, it just seemed like no development was taking pro- like progress at all. Like young players were falling behind in the system. It seemed like he's not, he wasn't really even open to like helping young players develop. And as a result of that, I think that played a factor in his exit. As far as i getting Quinn Snyder, they got the best head coach on the market. If you ask me, you know, I know everybody likes to say, i made Udoka. But at the same time, we don't know his status right now. But Quinn Snyder, they got their guy. And he's the guy that's going to bring a coach that knows his X's and O's, a coach that's going to emphasize ball movement and have Trey and DeJounte in a steady system. I don't know how much he'll be able to implement that system over the next 17 games, as the Hawks only have 17 games remaining throughout the regular season this year as they seek to fight for, the, you know, a spot in a plan. But I do like that higher long-term. And I think that bodes well for guys like John Collins and Clint Capella, who are known to eat in the pick and roll game, which is we know dating back to Quinn's days in Utah, he likes to run a lot of that. So I think those two pieces will be able to fit Only question I have is, will they seek to keep both or will they let one or the other go? I don't know. But they got to shore up some things on the rebounding side. They also got to find a way to win and close out tough games that have cost them a great deal this season been one of the main reasons why they've been around that 500 mark throughout the year.
1: This is
0: the first time I can say that no disrespect to Lloyd Pierce, no disrespect to Navy McMillan. This is the first time in Trey Young's career he actually has a legit coach. That, I just have to put that out there. This is the first time he actually going to have a coach where someone looks at him and say, oh, he actually had deep playoff success. He's done this on multiple occasions. There's a chance that you can actually win with this head coach. Um, and that is a shortfall with Nick McMillan. He hasn't gone very far in the playoffs with Never. any of the teams he's coached. So you can't expect championship basketball out of him. That's just the reality. So I agree with you. It was expected. We all, I knew that was going to happen. Um, the fact that they got Quinn Satter. Yeah. At the time I've heard from, um, a couple of people saying that they were looking at getting email Yudoka heavy um i think because of the fact that it's still kind of fresh with his departure that kind of played a role into the politics or the pr side of things for that franchise considering in the past they've had very bad pr problems with front office people yes they have uh i don't think i think they you know they have since they revamped all that they try to eliminate as much bad pr as possible and and not to mention the Trey Young situation was still very relevant in that, in that locker room, in that franchise. So, Quinn Snyder was the best safe available hire. It's the best way to put it for me. And because of that, at the, I do think it's a good hire. He does, you mentioned it before, you mentioned before, he knows his X's and O's. Guys like John Collins in the big man department, Clint Capella, they're going to eat like crazy. He's going to use them. And they have better offensive skills than what Rudy Gobert brought to the table back in Utah. But my concern is twofold. One, is Trae Young going to develop now as a leader knowing that you finally got a coach that you can actually win with but also hold you accountable? Are you disciplined enough to grow in that leadership role, knowing that you're the face of the franchise? Are you ready for that? That's one. And then two, I wonder how his offensive game, even though he is a great passer and great in the pick and roll situation, I wonder how his game's going to develop and progress because even though he is great, like, like all these great offensively in those areas, there is a similar player in Utah. That had a similar style, not the maybe not the same range. But when you talk about coming up that pick and roll game, had a similar style. And that didn't go over so well long term. That was Donovan Mitchell. So since they play similarly, not exact, but similarly in the half-court game, I wonder if Quinn Snyder can use that experience, knowing that there was some offensive issues or Mishaps per se with Donovan Mitchell, can he change some of that to help Trey Young thrive? I think Trey Young has the best chance out of the two because Trey Young can do more. He's a better passer, he has better court vision, etc. He knows how to actually play more of the point guard role. But because he's such a dynamic scorer and shooter, I wonder how quinn Snyder is going to make that work within an offensive game, knowing, like you said, like you mentioned. He is huge on ball movement. Um, I wonder how that's going to work. And I and that was honestly maybe have will be mindful too. That was one of the issues with Trey Young as well, the offensive system not being able to um facilitate the ball movement effectively in the way that they would have wanted, which was one of Nick Nate McMillan's issues with Trey. So. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to mesh that together. Because I, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to be able to get it done in 17 games. That's just not going to happen. But long term, there's no more excuses for Trey Young now. You got your max deal. You have, the, you have been to the Eastern Conference Finals. And you actually now have a winning coach that is so that is very well qualified and respected around the league as one of the top coaches in the entire league. That has a resume of winning. You can't, there's no more excuses for you now. You got to show up now. You got to do your part of the bargain. And friend, friend that had a long-term, he, I think you said, I think you said uh Quentin Snyder signed a five-year deal. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Trey, you got five years. <laughs> you, you pretty much have another five years to get this right. And to go deeper than where you have gone with Nate McMillan. And now the clock is ticking. Yeah, I I agree. Trey definitely going to have to showcase more of his leadership ability under Quinn Snyder compared to his previous two coaches thus far in the league. And you've heard a lot of people try and say, oh, he's a coach killer, da-da-da-da-da. I'm not going to label him as that. But when you consider what he was able to do under Nate McMillan, and lead the Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals after a several-year playoff drought and his first trip to the playoffs, that made people raise their eyebrows a little bit and say, you know what, I got to watch this guy. Because it was a point in time prior to that where you had a lot of people say, oh, all he do is put up numbers. Yeah, He he don't win. You know, that, that style of play can't win or whatever. He almost did as a young buck in the league. Now with him being a veteran, things have to change. And just listening to some reporters and guys on Hoops Hype talking about it, they said that that locker room is kind of like divided in some ways where you have certain guys hanging with other guys, and they weren't trying to like blast Trey or anything, but they said like Trey is like a real quiet guy that really like stayed himself. Mm -hmm. he's going to have to become a little bit more vocal if he doesn't do it DeJounte Murray is going to have to do it and also they're going to have to learn how to play together in this new system Yeah, something that is you know nice as they've been together at times they haven't done so consistently enough to elevate Atlanta to the level in which we expected them to be entering the season so it's a lot of work that has to be done. They got, they still got to get accustomed to playing with one another. Trey still got to get accustomed to at times playing off the ball on nights when DeJounte is, is doing his thing because DeJounte can run the offense in the show as well, just yeah. as good as Trey at times. So it's a lot of things that will, will need work. And with them playing 10 teams with a winning record over their next 17 games or last 17 games, it ain't going to be easy. It's going to be a challenge for him. But I, I agree with you, Josh. Like, there's no way that Quinn is going to be able to just implement all of his principles within such a short period of time. It's just no way. He can't, he can't do that. Man, I, I think a plus for this, though, especially when talk about Quinn Snyder, is because you have a dog like J- Jontae Murray on that defensive end, like, that's going to help set the tone in a lot of ways that you know he he did in Utah, um, and I like the accountability factor that Quinn Snyder brings because, like you said, it's going to make Trey uncomfortable. It's going to make him uncomfortable in that leadership vocal vocalization type of role. Um, and he has to learn to adapt to that. But even his skill set is going to have to change a little bit because it's going to involve a lot of ball movement. Because of the fact it's going to involve a lot of, most likely, um, not just ball movement but cutting. Passing, okay. and you know that type of action on the offensive end that Trey Young's not accustomed to. He's got to learn how to play off the ball in such a way that probably maybe one of the biggest changes that he's not accustomed to in a long time. He's gonna to have to adapt like Luka Doncic is trying to adapt to Kyrie Irving. That's what that's the type of change we're talking. We're looking at when we're talking about Trey Young off the ball, because DeJount, like you said, Dejounte Murray can run the offense too, and I will not be surprised. If Quinn Snyder does that, because he did that in Utah with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. Mike Conley was the point guard, but Donovan Mitchell, when he had his nights, the ball was in his hands. So Mike Conley had to adjust. And he can, and now, Mike Conley had the game to adjust because he was a great not down shooter. Um, Trey Young can do that as well, but his biggest impact is with the ball. Just Lions. like DeJounte's. So you got to figure out how you can balance act between the two, no matter who has the best game, knowing that down the stretch is going to betray at the end of the day. But that adaptation is going to take time to adjust. And we talked about how Luca and Kyrie is going to take a, a nice, it's going to take some time to get it together, but they got the right guy to, to do it with under Jason Kidd. It's a similar scenario here in Atlanta. It's going to be, you know, Dejounte Murray and Trey Youngs, but they're going to have to figure out how to play with each other still, especially under this new system. But they got the right guy to do it in Quinn Snyder because he dealt with that type of play. When he and and similarly from a skill set perspective, in Utah, and I think that's going to prepare him for this next lineup, considering what's been given to him. And if, and I think we talked about how Jonathan Collins is going to kill it if they keep him, that's an athletic big that he's never had. Like Quinn Snyder's never had an athletic big like that. Um, So if you keep him, I can only imagine the advantages John Collins is going to have because that's more at Quinn Snyder's disposal, especially for him being such an offensive genius. Um, So that's, so this coaching signing was really good for John Collins. Um, But Everybody else is going to have to have some type of adaptation. And that's going to take some time. And I wonder how it's going to work, especially with Trey Young, because this really puts a spotlight spotlight on him, not just being the franchise player, but now you got to be a leader because you got a coach that's going to keep you accountable in more ways than one. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know they're going to be staggering minutes over there as well between Trey and DeJounte, something that they've done, even during the days of the latter part of a Nate McMillan's tenor. But I think you're going to see more of that as well, because anytime you got two guards like that, that can handle the rock and run the show, you'll find a way to, you know, have them take turns. And then when it's closing time, you pick the guy that you want to either run the show or that you're going to seek to get the ball to with the game on the line, depending on who got the high hand on that given night. But I want to transition along from the talk around the Hawks to discussing a team that is riding hot right now located in the same time zone as Atlanta yet a couple hours away on a flight and that's the New York Knicks who as of right now are in action taking on the Charlotte Hornets at MSG while we're recording this and entered it boasting the best win streak currently in the NBA after the Milwaukee Bucks dropped a close contest at home against the Sixers in a nationally televised game just last weekend. Julius Randle has been on a tear. Mentioned it earlier at the top part of the show, the reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Week. He's been scoring nearly 30 a night while hauling down nearly eight boards a game over New York's last 10 games while shooting over 50% from the floor and 43% from three-point land. Jalen Brunson, in many people's eyes, including our own, should have been an all-star this year. And is even went a step further, proving why he was deserving of the honor, putting up a 32-7-4 and stat line through a pair of games to open up March. The Knicks have not dropped a contest since February 10th to Philadelphia on the road. What do you believe has led to the Knicks' hot stretch as of late, Josh? And do you think they can sustain this level of play? Because they currently sit fifth. In the East playoff picture, not too far behind the Cavs, who, if the season was to end today, those two squads would be facing one another in that four or five matchup out in the East. Defense. That's just really what it boils down to is defense. Um, Tib, this is, and it shouldn't be surprising to us because that's what Tibbs is. Tibbs is a defensive minded coach, and he's going to make sure that even if the offense is trash, you're going to have a chance to win at the end of the games because you're just solely sounding playing a good, deep, solid defense. The Knicks finally bought into that. And I think what also helped with that is the addition of Josh Hart. They're undefeated since he's been there. Yeah, He has brought that all-around game that, quite frankly, has been that wasn't utilized correctly in his previous situations. And the fact that you know, Josh Hart reunited with his Villanova brother and Jalen Brunson, who has a mess. He has another a mess, like you said, a message to prove. He has a mess. He has a, he has to prove himself, considering he should have been All Star this year, and he's showing that. I think the additions of those two very underrated moves since they occurred, and that have heavily impacted winning basketball for the Knicks. There was a time last year when. Even when Knicks had chances to close games, they did not have a closer. They did not have a point guard or someone that can settle the team down, get the team into their sets, and put, the, put their players in the best positions, positions to score and to at least, you know, execute in the best way possible. You have that now in Jalen Brunson. And he's making that $110 million contract worth way less than what he should have been gotten at this present moment because of the way he's played. I think Julius Randle has, has emerged in ways, too, where he's not only able to score effectively around two, but his three-point shot has improved along with his IQ. Um, but I think Josh Hart plays a big role in all this. I really do. And the fact that he brings sound perimeter defense, does the dirty work, can hit timely shots when necessary, that is paying off dividends in major ways for the Knicks right now, and it has them rolling, you know, to where I don't know if we would saw them as that fifth seed in the Eastern Conference right now. I wouldn't expect that if you asked told me that, uh you know, in the beginning of the season. But they're definitely showing the world that you may not want to mess with this team if they make the playoffs. You really don't. You may not want to play them, play with them in Madison Square Garden for a seven game series. I, you know, it's not, it may not be your best. You know, wishes to do that. So you got to get credit to the Knicks, man. Um, uh, but that though I think Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, those guys committing to the defensive end and scoring effectively and efficiently offensively, that's what's making the Knicks a team to beat right now in the Eastern Conference and in the league as a whole. I agree. You know, de- defensively, they they holding their own. And we know Tom Thibodeau, being here based out of Chicago, what I show, you know, how he get down. If you're not playing defense, he's not going to have you playing extended minutes on the floor at all, regardless of what, you know, quarter the game is in or how much time is on the clock. You know, you're going to play your ass off for him. Otherwise, you ain't going to be out there. But to me, the offense is the biggest reason why the Knicks have managed to turn it around. We talk about Jalen Brunson, but Jalen Brunson was out the other night against the Boston Celtics. And Emmanuel quickly, he showed why he should be a little bit higher up in that running in the race for six man of the year. His case continues to keep getting stronger. Like this man played 53 minutes, scored a career high, 38 points, 11 in clutch minutes, added eight boards, seven assists, four steals and two blocks. And the Knicks have been, 7.9 7.9 points per 100 possessions better with quickly on the floor at a plus 6.2 rate than they have been with him off of the floor this guy was getting to it like Tyrese Maxey I'm talking about like pushing the tempo getting to the cup taking guys off the dribble hitting the tray ball for him to put perform the way that he did in that double overtime win against the Celtics a team that New York appears to have their number because they beat, not only did they beat the Celtics three out of four times this year in the season series, they took two of those wins in overtime sessions out in Boston at TD Garden. Yeah. And guys like quickly played a big factor as to why that has happened. Julius Randle, the way he was carving up Grant Williams the other night in isolation, like how you want it? On the block, step back, triple, I got you. He's been balling. And he's looking like a guy who heard all the chit-chatter over the summer about how, man, the Knicks need to trade him. Yeah. He's overpaid. He's not a max player. Julius done heard all that and put that to bed. I really like the way that he's been aggressive in games and he's seeking to operate and get to his sweet spots. But, and yeah, Jalen Brunson has been that guy. In the fourth quarter, that can say, hey, let me conduct a Florida offense, get guys in their spots, and when I get a, a matchup that I like, I can score and take advantage of a defender as well. But Josh Hart, yeah, he's been huge. And if it's one thing we know about Josh Hart, and I definitely know about him having seen him in college during his days at Villanova, the man has always been a winner. He yeah. just was never in a winning situation. And I'm so glad for the first time in his career he's on pace to get a shot at competing in the playoffs. Because when you talk about what he brings on the defensive end, on a perimeter, how he's able to hit timely shots, not only is he able to do that, he can also facilitate when you need him to. You know, he's a guy that's unselfish. He gonna play his role and he gonna make the most out of his opportunity. He's done that. And I do believe he's been a big reason why they have won nine games in a row. Because prior to him coming aboard, they were five and eight their previous 13 games and they were getting outscored by nearly 16 points per 100 possessions in the 226 total minutes with their starting guards and forwards now ever since hearts came into the mix they're not getting killed with their starters on the floor quentin grimes has been really big as a 3 and d wing and over the last nine games just looking at the numbers they're plus 5.2 per 100 in 136 minutes with the quartet on the floor, that is Jalen Brunson, Quinn Grimes, RJ Barrett, and Julius Randle. And when you have that bench unit that's able to just like destroy teams the way that they did, or the way that they have been doing, it's not a coincidence at all as to why this is the hottest team in the NBA right now. Man, speak number facts as always, man. It, 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 that's just the truth. And you know, they really are showing people that they weren't a fluke. They were, they had stretches last season, even early parts of this season where they were winning games and things of that sort. But, you know, you always had to have that caution because they're the Knicks. They're eventually going to tank. They're eventually going to do something bad. They're going to mess something <laughs> up, right? You always had to have your caution. But Knicks fans can – it's safe to say, Knicks fans, from what we've seen going around, Leon Rose, you know – Shout out to World Wide West. Everywhere we go, we leave a worldwide mess. Like, <laughs> them, them two guys doing their thing over there. Um, And they're showing that we may not have been in the basketball realm as front office people before, but we know how to do our jobs. And you got to give them credit for that, man. you got to give them credit for the work that they've done in putting this uh, roster together and not giving up on R.J. Barrett when you could have because rj barrett is having a huge year this year that a lot of people was kind of upset about i mean i would be too if it means i could get donovan mitchell but um rj barrett is also making you know making some noise this year and letting the world know that hey you thought you can get rid of me let me show you why you shouldn't have and he's definitely showing that he's a valuable option on this roster um not just from him improving his three-point jump shot But being able to attack off the dribble, his offensive game being in the mid-range dribble pull-up jump shots, you know, when he can solely focus on scoring the ball, that's where he's the most effective at. And he's shown this year what that can look like. So everybody on that team is really picking picking up the pieces and creating a masterpiece within this puzzle in a lot of ways. To show that, hey, New York Knicks basketball ain't what it used to be right now. We're, we're legit for a reason. And it's exciting, and it's always an exciting time to see when the, it, the NBA is always going to be better when the Knicks are winning. That's just the reality. And I'm glad to see that the Knicks are winning in this realm, not as much as the Bulls should be, but that's another another card. We're going to get into them later on for so, sure. Yeah, but um, yeah, Knicks basketball, I don't want to say it's fully back but it's well on its way. Yeah, I mean, if they get to the playoffs this year, that's two times in the last three years they've gotten there. And then, oh, by the way, how could I forget about Mitchell Robinson? They just got him back off of injury, and yeah. I think their defense is going to rise up. They're currently in the, among the middle of the pack. They missed him big time on the glass as well as, you know, protecting that rim, which he's so great at doing. They got him back now, and and they really – Got, you know, a lot of momentum. And I like this team more than the team that we saw during the pandemic shortened year in 2021. Because that year, everything within the offense was mostly based around Julius Randle. Now you can't just load up on Julius Randle when you got a Jalen Brunson out there or R.J. Barrett who's improved his game. Yeah, he struggled as of late. And a lot of the Knicks fans been riding him a little bit. But, like, for the most part, he's been solid. He's not hurting them. And then you got Quentin Grimes. Like, you got shooters on the floor, guys that play hard defensively. This is going to be a tough team to try and knock out in a best-of-seven series if they stay where they're at within that 4-5 or range. And if they get that four seed, That's a very interesting matchup when you consider that they more than likely would be taking on a Cleveland Cavaliers team that Mm. consists of mostly young players who have not played in the playoffs at all, with the exception of the all-star guard himself and now a veteran, as funny as that is to believe, in Donovan Mitchell. All I got to say is do not let Donovan Mitchell knock off the Knicks. Oh know he's going to have every that. incentive to do it with him being from around that way. <laughs> oh, man. Imagine being able, you could have traded for him and you didn't. But you get to the playoffs and then the man you could have got knocks you out of the playoffs. Ooh, that, 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 that's lethal. That's lethal. It I, would be. But you know what? <laughs> it, it would be. But I got to give credit to Leon and West for not jumping a gun on that. And i tell you why. Because not only would that have cost him R.J. Barrett, but it would have cost him Quentin Grimes. And yeah. Donovan would have been going into the Big Apple with a lot of, like, pieces that might not have fit beside him and his game at all. And, you know, because New York's been known for doing that for years. They make these big-time blockbuster trades for stars and stuff. They did it with Carmelo, but they sold the whole farm. You know yeah. what I'm saying, and they depth that would have made that destination or de- did make that destination attractive enough for certain star players to say I want to go there. You know, if you can, you can always revisit that down the road. But I, so I, I, I like I like the way Leon and Wes are handling things. They really trying to build something there, and they yeah. trying to develop players there, which they've been doing a good job of thus far. For sure,
1: man. For sure.
0: But moving away from the red hot Knicks to discuss a pair of teams in the West, beginning with a franchise down in the desert, who since making the trade for a blockbuster star has now gone about seeing him make his debut for the franchise officially, all the while helping them garner some wins in the process. The Phoenix Suns currently boast a 3-0 record since Kevin Durant's return from his MCL spring, suffered in mid-January during his last days as a member of the Brooklyn Nets, as the one-time MVP dropped 23 points on 15 shots in his official debut against the Charlotte Hornets last week since coming aboard prior to the conclusion of the trade deadline, all the while capping things off with an impressive 37-point explosion on just 17 shots in an epic comeback victory on the road against Luka Doncic and his former running mate Kyrie Irving of the Dallas Mavericks over the weekend. I like what I'm seeing. I like what I'm seeing. Kevin Durant, it don't matter what uniform he got on, that man going to get a bucket. Yep. And I want the average fan or just even a casual fan that's listening to know this and understand this. It ain't easy when you get traded to a team in the middle of the year and you still able to find a way to get to your sweet spots on the floor with no problem, all the while you're trying to get ingrained and ingratiated in a new offense. And the thing that has impressed me the most with Kevin Durant thus far, and I want to see how long he's going to keep this up, is his defense. He out here icing, picking rolls, you know, <laughs> making life living hell on, on young rookies like Mark Williams. I haven't seen Kevin Durant with that much attention to detail in a, in a long time. I know Jock Vaughn was getting on him a, a lot about it in Brooklyn. And I know that Kevin Durant can play defense, but to cut off baseline drives and do all that stuff, even had a big time block the other day against Dallas. Yeah. man. look, it and, 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 and it's it's like you gotta ask yourself when you a defender and you got KD and Book on the floor, who you leaving to help on? You have to ask yourself that. Reggie Bullock, he didn't want to leave Devin Booker, and he paid for it. Yep. When, when, when KD hit that when KD hit that game winner in front of the fans. Out of the Metroplex this weekend, so uh, last weekend rather. So when I when I see this team, I see them two killers, and if I'm Chris Paul, I'm chilling with my feet up, like all I gotta do is just set these dudes up and just hit timely three point shots, cause he's basically just the third option now. But that's fine, you know. We know he's struggled to create separation as he's gotten older in one-on-one situations. So this like completely bails him out. If they can stay healthy and they continue to play with some energy and get a lot out of their role players, such as Joshua Kogi, who has been nice off the ball in the actions as a cutter, knocking down some spot-up trades, which is how he really was putting up numbers against the Bulls. The past weekend, because the way he was shooting, I I, I didn't think that was Josh Sikogi in uniform. I thought that was somebody else, because I would never known him to be so deadly as a catch-and-shoot threat. But it just goes to show you how when you play alongside of superstars, such as Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul, who just tell you, hey, young fella, when you got that thing and you open off the double teams we creating, and And all this gravity, knock it down that that you know when they got confidence and faith in you to do it, it's easy to play for them guys. real easy to play for them guys, man and uh I, I like what I'm saying i I really believe if they stay healthy and they take advantage of some upcoming games on their schedule, maybe this could be the year, maybe it could be, but even if it's not. They in a real good position for these next couple of years.
1: Man, Kevin Durant, throughout this whole process, from Brooklyn, all the way up until now in Phoenix, he
0: realized he was dating the wrong girl. <laughs> you know, when you date the popular girl, the known girl, she's very pretty. She offers, she you know she's very smart and tall. She's very pretty. That's the ideal girl you want to be with. But then you date her and you realize there's so much paparazzi. She may not be exactly what you thought. There's things that you thought were ideal that quite frankly, you realize, you know what, maybe I don't like this. And you just realize this, this, this celebrity girl is not for me. The Instagram model's not for me. And then you look over, you see another girl who's, people may look at it kind of average, but she's still cute. You're intrigued by her. There's not a lot lot going on around her. She just goes to school, does her thing, come home. Goes to to her extracurriculars and comes to the crib. She's not out every night. She's just chilling at the crib, laid up in her her sweatpants, hair tie, chilling with no makeup on, and watching some TV. He's sitting here like, that's the girl I want to be with. Since he switched over from the popular girl, to the girl next to a dead cactus he went he realized how easy his life has been and that's what he's realizing in phoenix he said "Kyrie, i love you bro you 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 my guy but devin booker there's no trouble with devin booker there's no trouble with chris paul there's no trouble with deandre Aiden. they just hoop just like i want to hoop they're just like me and when you find that crowd that is just like you that can relate to you there's an understanding there's a mutual agreement you guys are moving in the same direction not saying that wasn't Kyrie I'm not saying Kyrie didn't want to win I'm not saying Kyrie didn't want to show up every game and things of that sort what I'm saying is there was a lot going on in Brooklyn that he just knew he just didn't need and he said I'm gonna go where there's some peace and quiet where I could just do what I want to do and be happy with the happy with the piece of with the with the woman that I got and that woman of Devin Booker has proven to be the best option for Kevin Durant and I mean I, I don't know why he wouldn't go with Devin Booker considering he's the one that broke the Kardashian curse I, it, I, so this doesn't surprise me at all if Devin Booker can be defeated Kardashian curse I best believe, Kevin Durant's going to thrive regardless. I mean, he's going to thrive anywhere. But this was a, this was an easy setup. This is this is literally just like a, a, just a fill in, plug him in there, and it has been so effortless on this offensive end, man. And that defense is different because he's rejuvenated. He's back on the court. He's happy to be around new teammates, and I think he's actually happy to be around people that he knows walking home. I don't have to worry if he's going to be in the headlines the next day. So having that culture that's set with, matter of fact, my, and, and mindful of the fact, someone he could relate to in James Jones because they played in the league together. So let's not forget that he, has a, he probably has some type of good rapport with James Jones, who's running that front office. You got a new owner who is like Steve Ballmer. We going all in. What 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 are these? What is these little picks that you that you? What is this called? Picks that you have? Forget it. Put it on the poker table. Run it. Rerunning running it, and then you have a legendary coach in Monty Williams who is so well respected. And need to mind you, Kevin Durant already knows from his team USA days. And OKC. And OKC was an assistant there. Yeah, right. I, I forgot about that, and I never connected the dots on that. until the trade became official and finalized and I saw a photo of Monty coach at KD at OKC I was like damn I did forget after he got fired by the Pelicans he went over to the Thunder for that year yeah so all those connections are there he's come home to a quiet spot and he's telling his mother ma I think I found I finally found the one <laughs> I finally found the one and you talk about they're in a good chance to win this year. I honestly think it might be their best chance because teams are still adjusting to this new lineup. You have reinforcements on the bench outside of just your normal starting four. You got Terrence Ross coming off your bench. That's some firepower to go along with the improvement of a Josh Okogie and others. And the fact that, you know, with 17 games left in the season prior to the playoffs teams still adjusting trying to get acquainted to you you're finally going into this part of the season healthy with everyone on the roster healthy it's the time to strike this is your best time to strike and the team's are already unguardable as is but chris paul you don't know how much younger he's not gonna get any younger and if if we all thought that a couple of years ago was his best chance of winning the championship He's got that shirt. He has that ticket rewritten for him in a lot of ways. As long as things continue to go the way they're going. So this is the best year for them to strike. And I think they do have a good chance of striking to win this thing fully. You got a a rejuvenated Kevin Durant. He got a new rejuvenated side piece in Devin Booker. Chris Paul, fully healthy, doesn't have to do too much now. He can be very selective with his play while also just running the offense. DeAndre Aiden, you've you've seen him have a different type of energy to him since the addition. And that's been a real positive to see, too. Yeah. Because I always felt like he was going to be the wild card in this whole thing. But he has come to play thus far, and he's trying to do the dirty work and set the tone defensively because, you know, that, that wasn't easy on him to go from being the, the number three option to now you the number four option like, you got to do this dirty work. You got to set some screens. You got to protect this rim. You got to get these rebounds. And we can't really have you complaining if you know you're only getting like five or eight shots a night. Yeah, that, that that's real. And I think the addition, I think all those factors made it easy for him. Because we have to remind, you have to be mindful. He still was having beef with the Suns in the beginning of the season because of that contract. Mm hmm. So let's not act like throughout the whole season, he kind of just slipped it under the rug, like, all right, cool. I finally got, I guess I got the most I can get and moved on. No, he he still got some issues with with that front office. But I think because of the fact that now you got people coming in like Kevin Durant, who's saying, hey, look here, bro, I'm just here to win, but I need you to win. Having guys like James Jones and Monty Williams that you know, helped them get to the NBA Finals before to say, hey, in order to make this work, we need you. This is why we brought you back. You know, there's some, there, could, there could have been some reconciliation during that, during that time, right before the All-Star break, that prepped them for this moment. And he's shown up. We know D. Book shows up. And Chris Paul has shown up in the most crucial, clutch ways when necessary, especially when – and what, what I'm referring to specifically is when the Phoenix Suns play the Bulls. Chris Paul only shot the ball like four times. But three out of those four times were clutch moments down the stretch in the the end of quarters. And that led to him hitting a dagger three that put the Bulls game way out of reach. Yeah, I remember that. I know what you're talking about because I was watching it at home. Yeah, like it's moments like like that where Chris Falker just needs to step in and do his thing. And you know he's going to do it without hesitation. This is the best chance right now, I think, for the Phoenix Suns to win. Great, good chances moving forward. Great chances moving forward. But right now, Everyone healthy, still caught the league off guard. They still trying to adjust and figure out how they're going to guard you. This is your best chance you're going to get. They need to ride this thing out and let it roll. And you know they're going to try and move up in the standings too because they currently sit fourth. As I'm looking at my laptop right now as we record this episode, they currently sit fourth in the West, 10 games back of the Nuggets for the top spot. But they're only three games back of a team that we actually about to get into discussing right now because they've been in the news heavily in regards to a matter surrounding their all-star guard, John ja Morant, who currently finds himself not only in hot water with members of the public, but also within the league following recent events that took place over the weekend. In the hours following the Memphis Grizzlies' loss on the road to the Denver Nuggets, John Morant posted an Instagram Live video in which the former Rookie of the Year displayed what appeared to be a gun all the while in the middle of a nightclub posted out beside others out in Colorado. An act that would lead to Commissioner Adam Silver to suspend Morant for at least two games shortly after as the league is currently conducting an investigation into whether or not Morant happened to possess the firearm on Memphis's team property or a part of their traveling party. Morant is also being investigated by the Colorado police at this time where in spite of being an open carry state, it is illegal to possess a firearm under the influence of alcohol in addition to carrying on a federal property. Morant is currently away from the Grizzlies as of the league's investigation and has been said to have no definitive timeline for his return by head coach Taylor Jenkins at the top part of this week as the team is in the midst of getting set to take on the Lakers this evening out in Los Angeles as we record this near the top part of the week. I got to get your thoughts on this, Josh. This has been the number one topic of discussion across NBA Twitter, and really across NBA circles throughout the country, man. Memphis is 4-6 and through 10 games without Morant thus far. No one knows how long this absence of his may last. But I got to get your thoughts initially on this news with, with John Morant, man. A guy who, as we know, has been in and out the news with a lot of stuff. But now it seems like shit done really hit the fan now. That's the best way to put it. It hit the fan. And um, I hate that this happened to him. But this is honestly giving a lot of Allen Iverson vibes. When AI was first in the league and he was having his troubles with, you know, rap or street culture um, within the league itself. um. We feared that this would happen or lead up to that because in the previous shows that we've done, even going back to the incidents with, you know, John Morant and and, uh, fighting, you know, with with Shannon's team fighting Shannon Sharp and T Morant getting involved and things of that sort. You know, we kind of knew that if things didn't get better, it could get worse to where it is now. So we really shouldn't be surprised that this is happening. but. You don't want anyone to go through any, through anything like that, and unfortunately, he is the victim of that. He's dealing with that. Um, I'm glad he's dealing with it now, because at least gives him the chance to redeem himself. Um, but it's unfortunate. It's just very unfortunate that he's in this circumstance, especially especially since he just signed that max contract. He just got that connected. signature shoe with Nike. Yes, so you were doing so well to a point now where, if you're not too careful, all of this can be stripped from you. And need to mind you, the 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 what the investigation that the league is going under could get him automatically fifty game suspension because of the fact that, that that's violated CBA rules. So if you violate CBA rules. And that's and they said the punishment for has a guaranteed 50, 50 games. You're not talking about just this rest of the season. You're talking about next year too, wow. half of next year. That's that's if it I don't want it to go to that, but that's going to be rough for John Morant to and the Grizzlies overall to overcome. Now, I think I saw a report that you know it's rumored that he has checked in rehab for alcohol and drugs. Um. And I hope that is true. I hope that he is taking it seriously to the point where, you know, he's seeking the help that he needs to better himself. But as a twenty-three, I think he's twenty-three years old. Yeah. As a twenty-three-year-old, it's tough. That's a tough position position for him to be in. But I'm glad it's happening now because he 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 needs to grow and, and mature because of the fact that he's a leader and the franchise leader of, of the, uh, and leader of the franchise and wanting to be one of the faces of the league um, but most importantly he is a father he is a father he is a family man like you being arrested or you going to you know continuing this past when you have a young daughter that looks up to you every game, that goes to you every game that you live with consistently. Yeah, you got to reevaluate your life because at the end of the day, as much as we love basketball, we want him to to, do his best on the court. You got a family to take care of, brother. You You are a man that has responsibilities and your daughter's your number one responsibility right now. So I hope and pray that as he continues to, you know, hopefully... Have this revelation that he eventually wakes up from this and he moves on and presses forward into a better direction. But as of right now, it's not good. It's very unfortunate. And I hate someone like John for someone like John Moran, who is still so young, trying to figure out and navigate this life of basketball and the life of making millions and millions and millions of dollars. You know That's not easy to handle, and right now he's not handling it in the best ways that he needs. And I hope this is a wake-up call for him, and it's not too late. I don't think it is too late, but it's not too late for him to get his act together because not just the, the lead doesn't just need him. His daughter needs him too. His daughter needs him, his family needs him, and the people that's really got his best interest in his circle need him. You know, we talk about how he's the face of the franchise, but no one ever thinks about how, like you said, when you stepping into a situation where you were the number two overall pick in the NBA draft, and you went from Little Murray State to being the face of the franchise for a small market franchise in the Memphis Grizzlies, you taking this franchise to levels that they haven't gone before. Yeah. With a player at your position. You know that that's a lot of weight on you. And oh, by the way, you go from being little bro on the block or in your family tree to
1: now big bro and the OG
0: figure to some of the young ones who are in need of some cash, in need of a job opportunity in need of a resource to take their life if not transform their life into something positive not to say that it was fully negative before but you have the ability to take these people to levels uncharted and I've heard a lot of people talk about you know the importance of watch your circle or what you, what you need to be doing, what you don't need to be doing for your brand and standpoint. Most folks that's talking that's talk as much as they have made solid points, unless of you in these positions or no people that's in these positions, I'm not just saying that as a flex, cause I have had the, the fortune and privilege of being around professional athletes from the time I was a young boy, but unless of you not really around them on a daily basis, it ain't as easy as you think. It's not, and you know you hear all this talk about people saying, "Whoa, you know, he not from the hood and stuff like that." Man, look, you got corny dudes in the hood too. Like hmm. anybody could be gangster. <laughs> it don't matter where you live. You got you got people that's part of the Italian mob. Yeah, they live in the suburbs with you, but when stuff get out of hand. You, you might least expect them to be the ones to figure it out, but they figure it out, you know, and they might shoot first, ask questions last, but you're going to yep. figure it out. But the, the problem is in this situation is you just got to, you, you know, you, you, you can't do it. You just can't do it. And I get that he's young. So I'm not going to sit up and try and scold job ja because I'm only six years older than job. Ja. But these are the reasons why you have some OGs in your life that say, hey, young fella, you need to put that camera down. Yeah. I understand it's not, I understand it's not easy. Everybody want to be in the light. Everybody want to be a star. Stuff like this is exactly why I personally keep a low profile because you don't never know. Who watching you. And I hope that the young kids that's paying attention to this story can learn something from it. And I hope that Ja is able to learn internally from his lesson. I hope that his father is able to talk with him about this as well. And T. Morant. And I've heard a lot of people be quick to chastise T. Morant, you know, and, and his guidance as a father. But unless if you really in them circles, you don't know what's really going on for real. You know, you could be the best father in the world or try to. At the end of the day, when your son grown, all you can do is just hope and pray that whatever you taught him, that he is smart enough to utilize it to the best of his advantage. better, to be ask better than ball. you are. You know, you know, like that. That that's all that's all that's all you you could do. And then you know, I'm glad you brought up you brought up LeVar Ball, right? Yep. I'm glad you brought him up. Cause me and my guy Torrance, who I slid to Milwaukee with, we was talking about that. We we as a media, we got a bad habit sometimes. Like we love to put fathers on the camera that that love to laugh and giggle. No disrespect to T Morant. But yet when LeVar Ball was out here trying to actually build something, we laughed at him. We laughed at him. We need to start thinking about fatherhood deeply And situations like these, show it. But not just fatherhood, the importance of having good infrastructure within your circle. You know, everybody talk about having yes men. Everybody got yes men. I know some people that do something for me if I ask them and they won't even think about it. But I don't need the people around me all the time. I need some people that's gonna keep me in line, that's gonna keep me in check, make sure that my ego don't go overboard. But with y'all, man, like I mean, it's unfortunate. It's just unfortunate. It is, it's you know, I'm praying for dude. I I appreciate the comment that he issued through the press, and I know it's just a comment through the press. But I hope that he's working through it. I don't know, you know, if he was intoxicated or not. I know people in his crew, you know, they had, they have bottles out and stuff like that. That hasn't been proven, but if that's what he needs to do in order to become a better man and, 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 and to continue on with his career and be that all-star player that we know him to be kudos to him. But he made a, a he made a very interesting point. I was listening to an interview he, he did with Taylor Rooks, like, you know, about how nobody ever think about when you the man that got to provide for everybody, how much that drowns you mm-hmm. pretty much. You know, like that ain't easy. That's not easy, especially for a guy who is 23 years old. You know, I just want people to think about that. Like, what was you doing in 23? Did you have millions of dollars? Did you have a profile where you had a million followers flocking to you and stuff like that? You was moving, living from city to city. It's easier said than done, man. It's easier said than done. Yeah. Uh, I obviously com- completely 100% agree with you. Um, I think it's just also interesting when you talk about fathers and how we brought up Lavar Ball. LeVar Ball, yeah, we made, you were absolutely right. We made fun of him for trying to build something. But one of the main reasons why I mentioned LeVar Ball, because you talked about how you hope John Morant grows from this and that, the five, and that what he's learned from his parents and his upbringing from his father, you just hope that whatever you teach him carries on moving forward in the best limelight. LeVar Ball, let's, let's put it this way. Lonzo Ball had a similar situation with his father. He didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't crazy from a drugs or, you know, alcohol perspective, whatever the case may be. But there was a moment in time where he was, he was right under his father. Everything his father said, he did. But there was a moment in time where he had to grow up and make his own decisions for himself. And he said, Pops, I love you, but I can't be with Big Baller Brand no more. I got to make my own, I, I, I want to create my own legacy and do it my own way. And then from that point on, you saw Lonzo Ball flourish and make four years, $80 million deal. I'm just saying, we love T. Morant. T. Morant is, to us, a winner, not just as a Black man, but especially a Black father. The way he supports and loves his son and his granddaughter means the world, and we see it. But at the same time, Ja has to grow up and make his own decisions. And as he grows and matures, there's just certain things that he's going to realize he just can't do even though his he may see his father act the way that he acts. Which sometimes is not the most positive considering the recent incidents that have taken place at games pertaining to him and alcohol use, intoxication. So that's another element he's going to have to dissect and really realize, okay, just because I'm growing up and I have to learn from my mistakes, I might have to be an example to my own father. So that way he can see this. And since he knows things have not been in the best limelight over the past year between us not only am I going to, have to make a change, but he might have to make a change too. And sometimes the best wake-up call for a parent is when their kids are leading the way and they're not expecting it. So I'm not saying in this case, T. Moran is to blame. I'm not saying any of that at all. I know that. But what I am saying is leadership goes far and it starts with your actions. If Josh's changing, maybe that could change some of the things his father's been putting the limelight for too, which can change the whole demographic of what the Morant family really is about versus what the media publicizes so much. Because we know Josh's a great guy. We know his father's a great man. You know, we know they're great young, they're great Black men, but they're in the wrong limelights for the wrong reasons. And they have to change the narrative. So maybe this is twofold for, the, for not just John ja Morant, but his father as well, to where this is not just a John ja Morant healing. It's a family healing in ways that we may not know that can be beneficial for that family moving forward. And, you know, if you're a real homie to John ja too, man, like straight up, you know, you, you, you really wouldn't even let him get in that situation. If you ask me, if you a real homie to him and I know I've heard some people say, well, that's why you need vets in the locker room. Mm -hmm. I get it. I do agree with that. But even when you have vets in the locker room. These guys are grown men at the end of the day. Yep. They're going to do what they want to do when they want to do it. You cannot police everybody, even when you try. I know, I'm pretty sure you got some stories yourself, Josh, being a former Hooper. Like, it's it's been so many guys I done been on teams with, regardless of the sport, who, when they was hot about something, you couldn't calm them down for nothing. But when they was going (laughs) to turn up, they was going to turn up. We all had that story. You know, so unless if you've been in them, you know, behind them walls with dudes like that, you don't really know. You don't really understand, and you will never know. And I'm not trying to act like I'm holding it now myself, and that I know everything, because I don't. But like you said, this this it is it, it, it's really it's really everybody in the circle got to get right, and whoever don't want to get right, they got to go. But I want to ask you real quick. Like I said, Memphis is four and six through ten games without Morant. Like, can they get through this stretch without their top star? Man, I—I I, I mean, if he's out, I'm a, I think we can all kiss uh, the championship aspirations goodbye for at least this year, for mm-hmm. for a certain. You know, if he's out, but you still got some guys and Des, Desmond Bain in the mix. Brandon Clark is hurt; he's out for the year with that torn Achilles. But you, you have Desmond Bain. You also have Luke Kennard. It's Jaron Jackson Jr. still, in, you know, in the fold. What, where do they go from here, man? Because if you really want to know the truth, Memphis kind of took Brooklyn's place in the NBA headlines right now. And it ain't for great reason. Because there was a lot of bad news coming out of Memphis this past weekend. Because even Dylan Brooks had to sit out for a one-game suspension due to drawing his 16th tech. Of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And it doesn't help that Stephen Adams holds a player-only meeting and John Moran doesn't want to listen to him in the meeting. Yeah, I heard about that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, things are not pretty in Memphis right now. But at least in Brooklyn, even though you had all the mess going on, you still had superstars. They know, how, And you knew that at the end of the day, they're going to show up and ball out when they need the ball out. That you're, you will always have a chance to win memphis is not built like brooklyn was john moran is their superstar and you know what when i really think about it it's not a direct comparison because it's not exactly the same but when i look at this memphis team i look at the 2011 bulls i look at d-rose's mvp year the bulls had solid players all around they had shooters they had two-way defenders They had a defensive presence in Kim Noah with Taj coming off the bench. But at the end of the day, that team without Derrick Rose was not going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Derrick Rose was the heart and soul of that Bulls team. He was the superstar. And in a lot of ways, D-Rose was literally the main reason why the Bulls even won. Oh, yeah. John Morant is the D-Rose of this Memphis Grizzlies team. Memphis has shooters. Memphis has defenders. They have two-way players. They have a bench. But they are not going far without John Morant as their point guard. Because John Morant Morant brings something to the table that no one else on that team can. And it's not just scoring ability. It's clutch ability. It's a go-to option down the stretch knowing that no one can stay in front of him you don't have that option now i love tyus jones arguably best back back up point guard in the league hands down but he ain't john moran you got to play differently when you have him on the floor that's true and that's gonna be easier for teams to guard and unfortunately That's why their offense thrived so much because it was John Morant going coast to coast from their defense or John Morant doing things that we never thought we would see because he was just that darn good. That is now gone for the foreseeable future. Memphis, to me, I expect them to backslide big time because they don't have the consistency and the quality of talent to maintain the level of play on both ends, but especially offensively with when, when they had compared to when they had John Moran. So yeah, this the, I, their season's done for. Yes, they're gonna make the playoffs. They ain't getting past the first round. I don't see them getting past the first round at this yeah, present if, moment. If, if yeah, if John don't come back, I, I agree with you. Like I'm looking at their schedule right now, they got the Lakers. Set the tip off at the crypto.com arena very soon as we recording this. And then they got Golden State on Thursday of this week. And then they wrap up the week with Dallas. Both of those games at home, the last two, against Golden State Dallas. Those will be at home at the FedEx Forum. It's not going to get any easier for them. And they face Dallas three times over the course of the next like 15 or 10 days. So those games are going to be huge in regards to how things shake up in the Western conference standings. And it's, but the only reason why I asked is because last year when John Morant was out due to injury, you know, Memphis won 20 out of 22 games. And this year, like I said, they're four and six. They've lost their last three as we, talk about them now recording in the games they've been without Morant they've lost their last three I just I, I know that they have you know a, a lot of depth but I, I agree with you though Josh I, I don't I don't know how they how they handle life without him especially if we don't see him take the court again for the rest of this season that appears to be all in the air at this point and I think I saw um, either a tweet or, we was, or someone was discussing this, how Memphis always seems to find some type of trouble with their star guards because going back to OJ Mayo. Man, yep. Like, <laughs> yep. you know, those type of situations mm-hmm. with the guards, like it's always something that goes down in Memphis with their star players like that. And OJ Mayo was a player that Oh God, he was special. He was so special, and yet his career never lived up to what it could. Because of that, similar situations. John, you know, it's just amazing how that's now happening to another guy in John, in John Moran. And you know, I hope that his situation turns out better in comparison to O.J. Mayo. But yeah, this is gonna. This is a situation where this offense that's built right now. It's not built to carry Jaw like it was last year. It, it's not built the same way. And because of that, they're going to get hit harder than they, than they did last year without Jaw being present. And, you know, I just – it's going to be interesting to see moving forward. For sure, especially without Brandon Clark, who was such a big piece to that second unit. Yeah. And putting together some solid minutes – in the absence of Steven Adams, who's still trying to recover and work his way back from his injury. But I want to carry things along on open run from a serious matter in Memphis to discussing the Chicago Bulls, who right after acquiring Marshall High School's own Patrick Beverly on the buyout market captured back-to-back wins against the Nets and Wizards at home, following the conclusion of the All-Star break only to follow it up by dropping a close contest just north of the border against the Toronto Raptors, in addition to the Phoenix Suns and Indiana Pacers at the UC over the weekend, as Tyrese Halliburton will silence the fans at the Madhouse on Madison with a long-range tray ball over the outstretched arms of Beverly to send the Bulls home with yet another tough loss in clutch minutes as they have lost three out of their last four games. Two of which have come by either six points or less, as the Bulls stand a game and a half back of the Washington Wizards for the tenth and final spot in the Eastern Conference play-in picture. Although the Bulls' president of basketball operations and enforcer Connor Sovis, and general manager Mark Eversley have let it be known that they don't plan to tank and do all they can in their power to ensure that the franchise gets to the playoffs for the second straight year. Bulls currently have an eight and a half percent chance at landing a top four pick in the upcoming draft, which is only three months away. According to the odds on tankathon, something that must happen in order for them to retain this year's first round draft pick, which should it not would go to Orlando as part of the Nikola Vucevic trade from just a couple of years ago. Prior to Christmas, Josh, I don't know if you recall, but I took out some time to ask you as well as our friend Josh Buckharter whether or not the Bulls should seek the tank in an effort to land in the top four of this year's NBA draft. Where the likes of, as we know, Victor Wimbenyama, Brandon Miller, and Scoot Henderson, among a crop of other talented guys, would await them should they be able to land some lottery ping pong balls in their favor. They're currently 29 and 36 right now seven games under 500. Do you believe based on what you have seen through three quarters of the year covering this team on behalf of the big shout out to Eugene McIntosh and Terrence Tomlin, do you believe that based on what you've seen that the time has come to take the risk and tank for once and for all? Cause they ain't trying, but they doing it. <laughs> that, 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 that's the part that's the part you can't even say they should try and tank because they're going to do it regardless it doesn't matter if they go win or loot like they're going to do it regardless look the locker i i, I will i will say this they're frustrated that they're in this position um they did they are they did not expect to be in this position and me personally And did themselves a disservice not trading anybody at the trade deadline because there is no guarantee and you're going to give Nikola Vucevic back. There's absolutely no guarantee. Yes, the rumors say that he wants to stay. He's looked at houses here. I look at houses too. Chicago has some pretty nice homes. I look at houses too. But the reality is with the up-and-down season the Bulls have had, with the recent reports that Kola Vucevic isn't too much of a fan of confrontation and finger-pointing when it comes to, you know, plays that he might not have, you know, been, you know, efficient in. And you knowing that that could be a point guard of the future because Patrick Beverly, oh, he is loved by the Bulls. Too. The Bulls love Patrick Beverly. The veterans love him. So knowing that that's there. And Vucevic is having some issues with accountability in those senses. When you think about the fact that, you know, DeMar DeRozan, who, even though he's not necessarily a winner from a championship perspective, this is a man that knows what it means to go to the playoffs on multiple occasions. Probably the only one in the locker room outside of Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball, now Patrick Beverly and Vucevic has been to the playoffs on more than one time. Like, when you really think about that, and the nucleus core is so young, is there a guarantee that you should even try to keep this? Not necessarily. Your max player has never been to the playoffs since last year, and he barely played. Like, you're and you're asking for this nucleus to work when the reality is there's inconsistencies. It can work. It's like having, a, it's like having, it's like having an old charger, an old phone charger. You plug it in. Ah, it, It's not going to click right away, but there's some juice still left. <laughs> You're going to try to use all the juice you can, can out of it, even though it's not going to automatically charge because, oh, I gotta hope they can work. They still got a little juice left. That's what the Bulls are doing with this franchise. That's what the Bulls are doing with this team. You've seen this team clearly does not want to work. The formula's there, but it just doesn't work. Yet you're saying, there's a little bit of juice left. I got to get this juice out. Let's let's get this juice out. Let's try to get it for the next year, for the playoffs. Because all we need is that one game. They can't beat. They're not going to want to beat us in a one game. But then you have the conversation of mediocrity. because your tone changed from we want to go to the second round of the playoffs or better to now oh, we just want to get to the playoffs where's your standard are you going to lower it because you know that this nucleus you put together your best chance of even saving it is to go to the playoffs not to actually go further in the playoffs it's it's a lot of questions that 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 linger when you have that type of discussion but the bulls are going to Bulls. And what does that what does that look like all season long? Inconsistencies. So because of that, should they tank? To be honest with you, I say sit back and enjoy the show because you might see it happen before your eyes and you don't even and people don't even realize it. because it's not because it's not like we're trying hard to tank. We're, we're literally trying our best to win games, and at the end of the day, we can't win games. So it's not like you know the Bloop it's not like the Bulls have a script. Okay, we got to lose this game, this game, this game and this game and we're good. No, we're actually playing our best basketball. The Bulls shot 60% from the field against the Pacers. Yeah, I was they about shot, to get into that. They shot 60% 60% from the field, 45% from the three. And you still lose. You, you scored 123, 125 points, and you lose still. If that isn't a formula to show you that this ain't working, I don't know what is. And because of the fact that we know it's not working, and the wins and loss columns and the way you see them play every game shows that it's not working, the Bulls are already on their own take-a-thon they already been on their own take-a-thon. The only difference is we just marked Cuban trying to figure out how much we're going to invest in it. Outside of that, they already done all the investing. And I'm afraid it's going to backfire because I do believe as much as when you talk about big men in the free agent market or availability in the big men market, but they could be potentially for trade. Bulls, don't have, bulls aren't going to get any better than Booch. They're just they're not going to get any better than Vucevic. And you might, and he actually might walk for nothing because you believe so much in him and think that this is gonna work and you're gonna get a deal done. And what he's looking for does not equate to the product you're putting on the court, let alone the way you use them in this in this lineup, because you never stuck to the formula that actually works. We all know that if Vucevic Started the the game off with the ball, you run the offense through him, it may not lead to him scoring the ball all the time, but it leads to better chances for the Bulls to thrive. And they normally win those games. Or at least get very close, keep the games really close. When they don't, they get their butts whipped. It's simple, right? And they overcomplicate the game more than it needs to be. They shoot their own selves in the foot. They're very undisciplined. There's no defensive structure. There's no energy. There's, they're always turning over the ball. They can't protect the ball. No, and at times, they barely force turnovers. It's so much that goes into this Bulls team right now, bro. Oh, I know. And that's why, that's why, I'm, that's why I'm letting you talk because I know you at these games. I know you talking to these guys. And when you brought up the fact that how they shot over 50% from the field, put up 120-plus points, and still lost, I could tell you why that happened. Because they was getting killed on the glass. Yes. Annihilated. Yes. And outworked. And as a result, Indiana was able to get so many second-chance points that that's what helped keep them in the flow of the ball game. And I got some numbers for you that just go to show you what a difference Indeed, that a year makes. The Bulls are now 11 and 22 in clutch games this season, which are defined, as we know, as within five points with five minutes left to play. Last season, the Bulls went 25 and 16 in such games. And those were the games that define the success of that team. Mm-hmm. Whereas this year, it's broken them. And you talk about the defense, you know, and the lack of energy. Energy be there in spurts, but not throughout the full 48, and that's been an issue. The way I see it is no differently than what I saw in June. Yeah, it's it's time to to take the risk and take. It's time. Because if you've been trying this hard to win, and you haven't been able to do it, hey, it's going to be a long summer. (laughs) It's going to be a very long summer in Chicago. And for all you depressed baseball fans, I got bad news for you. You better put your hope in the White Sox or the Cubs before you do the Bulls right now. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And and no disrespect to Patrick Beverly, because Patrick Beverly has tried and he's busting his tail off trying to do the best he can to get the most out of Zach Levine and other guys and I think Zach has actually played well as of late yeah yes attacking the rim getting to it you know not trying to settle Patrick Williams has made some strides as well but in spite of that like you said these pieces that they have intact do not fit And at some point, they're going to have to, I don't want to say rebuild their roster, because I still see some young talent here and there, but they're going to have to retool it, Mm -hmm. especially when you don't even play a modernized brand of basketball. You want to shoot all these twos. You got to have some guys that's going to knock down some threes. No knock on DeMar DeRozan. We know he's a mid-range assassin. But you cannot just live and die so, solely in cr- crunch time with DeMar. You can't do it. And there have been so many times where, and I know your man Eugene was pointing it out and even asked Billy about it, where he don't even seek to call Zach number. Right. And that's your max player. And the only And it's funny that you mentioned that. Because we asked him that in the last game against the Pacers, okay, and he said, "Yeah, that game, yeah, for that game, Zach was the number one option, but Zach wasn't even open. Neither was Demar. You had to settle for Vucevic shooting a fadeaway three, right? So even in, so, the big to add to add to that point, it's not just." You know, not calling for Zach to get the ball at the end of games, because reality, I think that should have been the case regardless. Zach should have been the number one option down the court in, in, in those last-minute uh, situations to get a bucket. But you can't execute. You, you can't execute the play that's given to you. There's so many times where plays are being drawn. Bulls can't set good screens. They can't make good cuts or they have to settle for options that aren't even real options on the court because their first two options kind of went out of sync. And then, and then on top of all that, even if you do get the first option, you don't even run the full play. Tomorrow going to say, screw this. (laughs) I got the ball now. Let me break this thing off and give me a jump shot. And it's like, Can you actually trust the play is going to work? Because as clutch as you are, Damar, that has not been equated, it has not translated so far to numerous moments this year as it has last year. So you keep saying it's a Zach's team. Well, why isn't Zach having the ball? It, It leads to the question marks that Zach already has about Billy Donovan. Because That relationship is not, it's good, but it's not the best. And you can see it on the court. And we found that out. We found that out firsthand early in the year after Jalen Suggs came in and ganged them. Yep. And that, and that epic collapse they had against Orlando. So we, we, we found that out real quick because you could tell, just watching the press conferences and the interview with Darnell Mayberry the athletic was asking him questions. And he wasn't pleased with being subbed out, Mm-mm. even though he was struggling at the time. And I understood the move by Billy, but I really think that's where a lot of that stuff began. And, you know, it's kind of like Tony Soprano saying to Sopranos, man, to Chris, you average at best. That's <laughs> the story of the Bulls, man. That's the story of the Bulls season right there in a nutshell. You average at best. And I think fans, you know, that don't know how to be real, they're gonna have to learn how to keep it real, cause they letting you know. Based on what they play, is looking like, yeah, it, 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 they they got they got other plans, and it ain't to be in the plan. Unfortunately, they got a lot of work to do, and they sure as hell gonna need a lot of help to get there. Yeah, man. I next topic. I can't even talk about it. <laughs> Next topic. Yeah, you got it. Entering the closing <laughs> moments of this week's episode, me and Josh will play a game of Truth or Trash, where we'll share our thoughts on three specific statements that are centered around NBA hot topics as to whether we find it legit or not. So statement number one, there is a three-team race of brewing in the Eastern Conference right now. Is it truth or is it trash? A three-team race in the Eastern Conference. Yep. Trash. Trash. I'm going trash right now. Your best two teams right now are are the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't have faith in Philly. Reason why I don't have faith in Philly is because I need to see what James Harden is going to do. As great as Joel Embiid is, we know he's going to show up in the playoffs. But Philly, unlike Milwaukee, I mean, Boston has this too in a lot of ways, and Milwaukee has it in their own way. But you have arguably the best dynamic duo in the league in James Harden and Joel Embiid. But the surrounding pieces do not equate to the top, top tier talent those other two teams have. The so Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. And you've seen it throughout the whole season. Now, if Philly's going to go anywhere, James Harden has to play like James Harden of old. Yes, he's, and I, and I think Philly's in a good spot because they're starting to see that pick and roll situation with, jo- with Joel Embiid and beating James Harden really working, especially since in the second half of the season so far. Yeah, I man. believe last game, James Harden had 20 assists. Like, yeah, he's, yeah, starting to, he's starting to find that groove again, which is great. The Sixers need that. But you're talking about putting them two against the Boston Celtics, which you have very good perimeter defenders in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You got a defensive stopper in Marcus Smart with a very solid perimeter guard and Malcolm Brodney coming off the bench. And you got Al Horford and Robert Williams guarding Joel Embiid. I'll give the edge to Boston. If you talk about going against the Milwaukee Bucks, you have Chris Middleton who can guard James Harden. You got Drew Holiday, who's most likely going to guard James Harden. Very good, strong defensive presence almost the perimeter. And you got Giannis and Brooke Lopez guarding Joel Embiid. I like to say that Joel Embiid, I like to say that Milwaukee Bucks has the edge to that. And they have the reinforcements that Philly doesn't. So I can't say this is a three man race when this is the first real chance we're actually going to see James Harden and Joel Embiid at the peaks of their games at the same time in a potential playoff format. Aside from the other components of the team. I need to see how that works. And I need to see how Doc Rivers is going to coach. Because you know Doc Rivers struggles in playoff coaching. I Man. love Doc Rivers, but he struggles in playoff coaching. Big Especially time. in closeout games. Yes. Because even last year, when, when, when Philadelphia was up three to nothing against Toronto, Toronto won game four at home. And mm-hmm. then they went to Philly for game five and they took it. And game six got real close for comfort. It's a hard hit a couple big threes late. Cause it's something about 3-1 leads. And even sometimes with a 3-0 lead, even though no one has come back from a 3-0 deficit. But with Doc Rivers, you never know. If it you know, you you never know. That that's very true. And I know that's my, my father's high school homie. You know what I'm saying? They grew up together, but man, proviso is alongs, but man, like yeah. That's, that's 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 yeah, you 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 right. But I'm gonna be I I, I think. I'm going to say truth to this. And the only reason why I'm saying truth, do I think Philly is the favorite in a series against Milwaukee or Boston? Hell no. I don't. I'm just going to be blunt about it. I don't. Milwaukee and Boston do have deeper teams at the end of the day. Philly's a top-heavy team. And they're going to go as their two stars go. And when Joel Embiid sits, it usually poses problems for the Sixers. Because they don't have nobody that can protect that rim, let alone can command any type of presence on the offensive or defensive glass on the boards when needed. And they they can't afford to have him getting in foul trouble early in game because that'll throw him off as well. But the reason why I think it's a three-team race, when I look at Chris Middleton, who is a key component for Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm not looking the same on the defensive end of the floor, getting picked apart like he did in the fourth quarter when James Harden was driving on him. It got to a point where you knew what was coming before it came, just being in the arena. you Like you said, you talked about the, the Harden and B two-man game and how it's gotten better through the second half of the season. That's fact. But in the fourth quarter, That's their go-to thing. And if you can't stop it, and they get into the line, it could be a problem. But as we know, game predicated in the half court in the playoffs, refs will swallow their whistle more in the postseason. They got to figure out a way to play through that. If they can play through that, and the role players can step up and knock down the open looks that they get off of James Harden driving kick, they got a shot. I think they're going to be a tough out, though. I really do if they're healthy. It's a lot of things that got to go right. Tobias Harris is going to have to give him a boost. Yeah. both things. Tyrese Maxey is going to have to be solid. Jaden McDaniels, who mm-hmm. had a, a nice 20-point out against the Indiana Pacers at the top of this week, he's going to have to be solid. And this is his first time playing on a contender. So anything that he do, it's gonna be exposed in front of a nas- national audience to see, coming from Charlotte. And this is his first time, so like he's really getting a a true test of what these playoff games are gonna be like when he's in environments such as Milwaukee. You got twenty thousand plus on hand, you know, on their feet in clutch minutes. So he he's getting a preview of that. But I think it's a three team race. I just I really like the way Philly playing right now. I know a lot can change.
2: Yeah.
0: But when you see Boston. Out here, without Robert Williams, and they lose in three games in a row. And Philly, if Philly get a top two seed, conversation start to change a little bit, because that that give them a little bit of cushion with a two seven matchup in the, in round one. But I do understand the concerns. I do. I, I totally get it. But when I look at Boston, I I see a great team. But when Malcolm Brogdon ain't in the lineup, I get concerned because the offense gets very chaotic. Mm-hmm. Is the defense going to be on point when Robert Williams returns from his, with his issues with his knee and stuff like that? Al Horford not getting no younger. Marcus Smart, I love his toughness. Hard-nosed player, but he can get very erratic sometimes when it comes to conducting the offense, and they turn the ball over a lot,
2: mm-hmm.
0: a lot. And sometimes Milwaukee can fall into that trap as well, not really having a conductor to take that pressure off of Giannis, even though Drew has done a hell of a job in trying to do so. He's really going to be the one that have to guard Harden and show those two teams meet up when in the first two rounds of the playoffs. But I think right now, yeah, it's a three-team race, Boston and Milwaukee, the top two dogs. And we're gonna always get them more credit because they the more proven teams. Philadelphia got to show it. But right, but, but I, I'm going give, I, I wanna give Philly a chance to show it because I like what I'm seeing. But I'm not gonna sit up here and say that they my favorite or anything, but I, I think it's a three-team race. It, I got questions about all these teams. And I never have been able to say that, in spite of the great teams that's in the East, over, like I have over these last three years. But I want to go into statement number two, L.A. Clippers. The Los Angeles Clippers will finish the regular season as a play-in team for the second year in a row out West. Is this truth or is this trash?
1: Ooh.
0: That's where they at right now. (laughs) I'm going to say truth. I'm going to say truth. Um. Yes, they've struggled to win since the acquisition of Russell Westbrook. That's that, That's no secret. Um, they have struggled to win. But if you're talking about a play-in tournament, one game is all you
1: need. And they got Kawhi Leonard,
0: Paul George, hopefully a good version of Russell Westbrook to go along with Eric Gordon, a healthy Norman Powell, Robert Covington, and Zubak with Mason Plumlee reinforcements to come off the bench. They're advancing. I expect them to advance. So I think they will eventually make the play-in tournament. I do. Um, and I think that whoever plays them, Not going to be happy. They may get severely disappointed because you're talking about one game just relying on those reinforcements to play well, which in a lot of these games, they actually have played well together. They just haven't been able to seal the deal. But Russell Westbrook has looked a lot better in in the Clipper uniform than he has in the Lakers uniform. I agree. If that continues to improve, and get better over time in these last few games. I do expect the clippers to play in the term and be a team to reckon with come to playoff time. Now I don't expect them to go far, but the clippers are still built for playoff pedigree basketball. And as long as the, and long and as long as the right p- pieces play their roles effectively, they're a tough team to play against, and you don't want to play against them, even if it is just for one game. That's the, that's, the, that's the one team on the West Coast for one game in a play-in you don't want to run into. Especially if they're fully healthy. I agree with you. It's tough because this team going into the all-star break, they was fourth in the West. Yeah. And they was adding rust. Everything looked on the up and up. But in the West where it's a bloodbath and a bad week of basketball can have you go from the fourth seed to eighth if not ninth, if you're not careful. The the margin for error is just small. And that's where they find themselves. I'm going to say trash. I think they finished just above it Hmm. in that sixth spot. But the league didn't do them no favors. Toughest schedule in the league. And what doesn't help them is their stagnant ways On the offensive end, despite the greatness of Kawhi, who, you know, since All-Star break has been putting up numbers and and, and scoring at a high clip. And even though his defense isn't where it once was at his peak, he still, you know, got some time to get it right. Mason Plumlee has been a nice addition. But Ty Lu. He got to have a conversation with Marcus Morris, man. <laughs> I don't understand how Marcus Morris is still in the rotation over Robert Covington. I just mm-hmm. don't. I also think he might have to go back to the way he was doing some things when they were winning games and maybe insert Terrence Mann into that starting lineup and just telling Russ, hey, I need you to slide to the bench, is my sixth man, especially. With Norm Powell out right now due to a shoulder injury, who has been, in my opinion, the best six man in the NBA, probably outside of Malcolm Brogdon and Bobby Portis, mm-hmm. consistent knockdown, catch and shoot, three point maker, guy that can get it off the dribble cutting to the rim, off-ball actions and stuff like that. I, I really like the way he's played. But I, I think I don't think they're a playing team, but it wouldn't shock me. If they are, I kind of am concerned because they got a lot of injuries. This just ain't a good time for them Zubac is out. You know, Marcus Moore is trying to play through injuries. That defense since the All-Star break ain't, ain't solid. That's why Covington need to be in there too. Yeah. You know he's going to defend. But, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say trash for now. I'm, I'm just going to say trash. And then the last statement is Damian Lillard is running from the grind when it comes to pursuing a championship. And the reason why I asked it is is because he just did an interview with Baxter Holmes of ESPN where he was talking about why he remained so loyal to Portland and analyzing Russell Westbrook's situation when he left Oklahoma City mm. and went to Houston. And was talking about how when Hard wanted out of Houston, that left him in a rough spot, and it led to him having played for three teams over the last, yeah, three years, years, pretty much last three seasons. So you know he was just saying the grass not always green on the other side, and I got his analogy. But when you when you think of Damian Lillard and his skill set, and while we should commend him for his loyalty it is kind of easy to be loyal when you get them the max dollars and you know, you, you, you got certain accolades behind your name and stuff like that. Like it's, it's easy to be comfortable, but like, what you think about that? That truth or is that trash? I, I'll give you my thoughts on that. You speak your piece. Oh, um, I'm going to say
1: trash.
0: I'm gonna say trash. Okay. And, and the reason why I say trash, because this isn't Damian Lillard's first go around and making max dollars. Even when they was trading his homeboy CJ McCollum in Portland, when they announced it was gonna break that duo up, he could have been right off there, like, okay, we could have re- we could have started that rebuild right there. Because it wasn't like Portland was going deep anywhere past the original uh, position that they did in the playoffs. They knew this team wasn't going to work with Damian Lillard and T.J. McCollum in the backcourt. And they also knew that they don't have the reinforcements to go past the second round, considering that, you know, I believe at that time, they just beat the Denver Nuggets and swept them in the first round. Uh, and didn't go far after that. I think Damian Lillard knows and knew for a long time he wasn't going to win a championship in Portland but what I do believe is look at his idols look at he look at who he looked up to one of the players he often talks about a lot is Allen Iverson what did Allen Iverson do he he was loyal and stayed in Philly and brought Philadelphia to the finals. He brought them a chance to win, even though we knew he wasn't going to win. But the fact that that was a possibility, I believe, knowing that that's, his, that's one of his idols, seeing the way he's done it, and he's a top-tier player in this league, I think he saw Alan Iverson as a blueprint on and off the court. We talk about musically as well. For him to thrive on and off the court and i just believe he's also just that confident in himself to where he's like hey you come to Portland, then i'm gonna make sure you get a ring like he's just that confident in himself which he should but i don't want to say he's running from the grind i think his makeup as a person is very old school i do think that um You know, he's always going to be big on loyalty considering he's come from loyal beginnings. I mean, this is the franchise that took him coming out of Weber State. No one has heard of Weber State from an NBA perspective. And not to mention a top six pick in that draft coming from that college to get to where he is now. He knows what it's like to always be the underdog. And I think he loves being the underdog. He loves... the 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 process of growth and development and he wants and and you know how sometimes uh they say when you go to somewhere else to achieve what you want to achieve it may not be as sweet compared to if you wanted where you originally wanted it i honestly genuinely believes he feels that i think he i think he really feels that if he was to go to a golden state if well, he was to go to another team that's set with superstars and he wins a championship, he's not going to enjoy it as much. I mean, at the end of the day, and, not the, and, who, and look at his circle too. He's home with LeBron James. LeBron James is, is in a circle. LeBron James has done his fair share of moving around. Yes, he's won. But what's the championship out of his career that means the most to him? cleveland oh yeah everybody knows that cleveland that's home because that's home that's him fulfilling a promise that has never been done before that means something to him that loyalty aspect of things don't i would not be surprised if you took a page out of that out of that playbook was like dang lebron won in his hometown lebron won with the franchise that drafted him he saw Kevin Durant take a team that, that he that drafted him to the NBA Finals and the Western Conference Finals on more than one occasion. Like, I, I think because of these people that he's around and he's seen what they've been able to accomplish as the league guy with their respective franchises that they were drafted by, I wouldn't be surprised if that, set the, that helped set the stage on top of people like Allen Iverson that he grew up watching and stayed loyal to that one team. So I'm not going to say that he's running from the grind. I think he really does want to win. But he wants to do it on his own terms and his own way, which is, quite frankly, unique nowadays because it's very rare to see anyone get drafted by a franchise as the main player, stay there for long periods of time, and win championships there over time. The only main person that's doing that right now, Steph Curry. Yeah. Really and, he's in, and, and he's in a beautiful situation to do it too. <laughs> I yes. mean, with, with with a Hall of Fame coach, a future Hall of Fame coach eventually, and Steve Curry and, and a, a future Hall of Fame executive, and Bob Myers, who yes. was once a former agent. But when I say running from the grind, I don't mean he running from the work. I know Dame gonna put that work in. You know, he, he and he is an old school guy. I re, I respect the route in which Dame is trying to take. I really do. It's not easy. Mm
2: -mm. But I
0: must admit, ever since seeing James Harden get dealt from Houston to Brooklyn, and of course, as we know, he's now in Philly. But after seeing that, he was always the one guy that I've had my eye on. Mm -hmm. Because he's like the last domino to fall. He never tested the free agency waters. Just like Harden. Has mm-hmm. never tested the free agency waters and will be set to once this season concludes for the first time in his career. And that's quite remarkable when you think about it because he's played for over a decade now and he's yeah. doing so entering and what will be his entering his age 34 season. But like bringing it back to Lillard, I I think it's, it's a slight truth to it. I think he wants to win in his own way. But if we're going to be realistic, and I know winning in Portland would mean a lot to him and -hmm. it would definitely be an accomplishment where he could be like, Hey, I told you. Right. I can't see it. I can't see it. And from the moment they traded CJ McCollum, even though I know Portland is trying to bring this infusion of young talent beside him to see where it can go. It kind of feels like borderline disrespectful just for him to even be there at times and just watch this core yes, and, and, and cast that he's been with because through his first several years, he played with some solid players such as LaMarcus Aldridge or mm-hmm. Wes Matthews prior to him tearing his Achilles and so forth. Like, he had some nice teams in the West. He just was never able to get over there hump. And then when he did and he finally got to the conference finals, which was five years ago, hard to believe now. Or four years, yeah, four years ago rather. Like when he when he did that, he got swept. And yeah. ever since then, it's kind of like it's been downhill. You know, you went from being the top four squad year in, year out to now. We don't know if you're gonna make it in the plan. And we we I feel like it is not to say that we own you because we don't. But I think the fans deserve to see that man in the playoffs. He's mm-hmm. too talented not to be. And it would be a shame to see this guy finish top three in scoring, which he's more than likely gonna do, and not be in the playoffs. Because he's doing his part to try and you know keep this team afloat. I just I don't see it. And at some point, you have to be you have to use your loyalty wisely. Because as we know, this is a business. And I think back to the days where Isaiah Thomas was in Boston. He wanted to be a Celtic. Yeah. But they said, no. Yeah. We're going to trade you. Even though he put his body on the line, sacrificed his body, in order to try and help that ball club get to the finals. You had guys like DeMarcus Cousins at the peak of his power say, I want to stay in Sacramento for my entire career. I'm going to take the max deal when it's offered only to get traded yeah you know I I know his loyalty is to be respected and honored I respect it I honor it but man at some point you you gotta see what it's like you don't want to at least you know you want to at least get back there like Damon's only been to one conference final and this is a guy who he he said in the interview he looks at himself is one of the elite shooters in league history i do as well but i don't have too many epic moments to remember Dame by when it comes to the playoffs outside of his run in 19 when he got at the blazers to the western conference Finals and he waved goodbye to paul george
2: mm-hmm.
0: after hitting him for game you know yeah he had his moments in the bubble but those were first round games. like i want to see that guy play deep until May or early June, and at some point, it, I mean like if, if Portland ain't able to make this work within the next year too, they they be crazy not to think about trying to trade him. Otherwise, you have an asset just there. Oh, and, 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 you know, and we know he's a great asset to have. He gonna get his number retired there. Everything he gonna get the whole shebang. But I, I just I. I think I think it's some truth to it. I don't think he's running from the grind in regards to the work. I know he want to do it his way. But you can't always be stubborn in his life. That's <laughs> all I'm going to say. Sometimes you pay for that. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, and he's definitely, he, he's been paying for it, to be quite yeah. honest with you. He's been paying for it. Uh, yeah, I just, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how things go moving forward, especially now. He, he got that super big deluxe max deal that if you're trading, you know, somebody's going to have to be willing to open that luxury tax. <laughs> Cause, exactly. Because that's going to be – that's a lot of money to trade in the prime of, the, of those years right now. But a team will find a way, as they always do, if they really want them, and he say he won't out. They'll find a way to clear that cap space up. But I want to move on to top games to watch during week 21. I started out for me. This is a Sacramento Kings week. Man, Ramonis Sabonis is putting up numbers that have not been seen since Will Chamberlain. De'Aaron Fox, I know he's dealing with a hamstring injury, but he's put up 30 plus and eight out of his last nine outings, if I'm not mistaken. He was getting real close to breaking Tiny Archibald's record for most consecutive games with 30 plus points or more. He was like one shy of that, but he fell off of that. This past weekend, they got New York at home on Thursday
2: mm-hmm. night
0: at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time on TNT. Those are two of the hottest teams in the league. And then Saturday, March 11th, they on the road going down to the desert against Phoenix at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time on NBA League Pass. And that's going to be a big game because when you look at the standards right now. They are a couple – I think they're like two and a half games back behind the Kings for that third spot in the West. And they got two – this is the first of two more meetings left during the home stretch of the season. So these games are going to have some important playoff implications as far as seeding go out West. And if you look in to see another game besides, you know, what's going on with Sacramento – a team that deserves to be watched is Mike Brown. In my opinion, is the coach of the year right now. Is Brooklyn at Milwaukee on March mm-hmm. the 9th. And the reason why I'm saying that because there's a guy I forgot to highlight. Show love to is a, is a guy that's called my and that's my Cal Bridges. Yes, sir. This man, yes, this sir. man, he looking like he 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 looking like James Harden when he first went to the Rockets out there in Brooklyn. Like every night, you look at the stat sheet, twenty plus. Man, he's showing some stuff at his kid I didn't know he had, and it's looking like a blessing in disguise for him. That's a guy you want to check out. That's a game that'll be going down at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on NBA League Pass at 5 0 for him out in Milwaukee. I'm mad you took all my games, bro. You took all my games, but I have one game that I'll mention out there for. A team that we talked a lot about today in the Oklahoma City Thunder. They are playing the New Orleans Pelicans on Saturday. That's a game I want to check out because obviously we talked about the emergence of Jalen Williams. We'll see if uh, you know, SGA comes back. But Oklahoma City Thunder is a great is a fun team to watch. And the Pelicans, they do have Brandon Ingram back. And he has been killing. Ever since he got back on that court, I want to see the young guys play against another young veteran. See how that see how that rolls out, especially if SGA is playing the SGA matchup between you know him and Brandon Ingram. Exciting basketball to see, and that's a huge game, especially in that race for the tenth and final seed in the play in right now because you got four teams vying for it in Portland, L.A., the Lakers. New Orleans and OKC. And if New Orleans could just find a way, man, to just get their offense right and stop turning the ball over and, you know, doing simple things, they'll be fine. But ever since Zion went down, it's it's looking rough. But that will be a good game for sure. I I agree with you on that. But I want to thank everybody for taking out the time to listen to yet another edition of Open Run presented to you by War Media. Make sure to follow all the social media hubs that we have, as well as to also check out the latest episode of the At-Bat Pod, hosted by our producer, Saul Rodriguez, who had a chance to speak with LA Angels beat writer, Sarah Valenzuela of the Los Angeles Times, about the latest all-season additions the team in the AOS made prior to the start of the year at training camp and more in an interesting episode beside our man, Chris Pennant. In addition to Saul talking on all things Pertaining to the Monsters of the Midway on Bears recap with Joe Tanksley as they recently had CHGO Bears insider and Greg Braggs Jr. on the show discussing free agency as well as the upcoming draft where the franchise is still in possession of the number one overall pick that will be highly coveted. As for us, we'll be back again next week with a March Madness themed edition of Open Run as the NCAA tournament is only days away. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins, as well as my co host, Josh Hicks. So long, everybody.